0: 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpresscom with amex Terms apply.
1: Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like in the parking lot at your kids' Pee Wee Championship game.
3: All right, welcome back, SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, we've got Peter Kahn, the new chief boxing officer over at Triller. Triller's made something of a splash in the boxing space over the last six months. They put the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones fight on. They just paid $6 million to have Teofimo Lopez face George Cambosis in June. Evander Holyfield is going to be on that card. And they've got a show this weekend headlined by Jake Paul, the YouTube star, taking on Ben Askren, a retired MMA fighter. I talked to Peter about what exactly Triller wants to be in this space and what kind of traditional boxing matches can we expect them to put on over the next six months. A little bit later on, Liam Williams, the WBO's mandatory challenger at middleweight, he takes on Demetrius Andrade for the 160-pound title on Saturday. I talked to Liam about changes he's made since back-to-back losses to Liam Smith. And why he's so confident he can do what no fighter has done. And that's beat Demetrius Andrade. As always, best way to support this podcast, get over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. Ever been ringside and
2: got blood on you? Oh, This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast.
3: Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this.
2: Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That
3: was really embarrassing.
2: That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing.
3: When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's
2: Chris Mannix.
3: All right, Peter Kahn is here. He is a longtime boxing manager who has added something new to his portfolio. He's the chief boxing officer now for Triller, which has a show this weekend, headlined by Jake Paul against Ben Askren. Uh, They recently put on the Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight. There'll be a show in June with Teofimo Lopez against one of Peter's clients, George Cambosis. And Triller's starting to make some noise in the boxing business, I think a lot of people are wondering exactly what are the plans for Triller and boxing. So hopefully get some answers from Peter Kahn. What's up, Peter?
4: Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm uh, excited to be on here with you. It's actually my first time, so, you know, it's a big deal for me.
3: Making your podcast debut. I'm uh, happy to have you here. Um, I, I get let, Let's start with you. How did you get involved with Triller.
4: Very simple. Um, when I realized that the negotiations for Lopez Cambosis was heading toward a purse bid and, uh, and that we weren't going to get an offer, meaning top rank wasn't presenting uh, an, an offer to George's promoter, Bella entertainment. I knew at that point that we were headed toward purse bid and, um, I knew that uh, you know, when I would visit my grandmother uh, in Florida during the summers, and she gave us a curfew, and she said, listen, the curfew is midnight, What you're not getting done by midnight, you're not getting done by 2 a.m. So with that being said, what we weren't getting done in over 30 days of negotiating, we weren't getting done all of a sudden in 14 days, uh, or however many days it was going to be till the purse bid. So I really realized that you know, with all due respect to, to Lou Debella and Debella Entertainment, they don't have a platform right now and so i knew that they didn't have a platform behind them um i know that uh they were hoping maybe that the zone would support their bid but i also knew that you know the zone was going to support matchroom's bid uh and i really didn't believe that top rank was going to bid a lot of money and it was just not it was just wasn't a situation that i wanted to leave to to chance so i cold called ryan kavanaugh um you know on the heels of the tyson jones fight um and then his announcement of his partnership with snoop Dogg uh for Triller fight club Uh, i figured you know what i I heard about the fight that they had coming up in in april and i figured you know what let me give him a call let me see if uh if you know if they're going to add some and i say legitimate i mean traditional boxing to these cards so we had a zoom and we hit it off and i explained to him how this all works what the purse bid was the process of the purse bid, what it meant. Um, I explained to him that he'd be paying a premium to make sure that he won this. It, it wasn't going to do Triller any good to bid to lose it for people to say, "Oh, that's cool, they bid." The impact is in winning, and the impact would be in being disruptive and and adding this type of fight for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world to to their to their shows. Um, so, at that point, uh, I told him look i'm I'm coming out to see you," and I got on an airplane the next day. I flew out, met with him at his house, and I said, "Look, this purse bid's coming up are Are you in because if you're in th- he said, "What do you think it's going to take to win and I really believed in my heart that that the number was i knew it was a premium but i did believe that potentially the zone could come in and five million or or maybe a little bit more than that so i said look six million dollars is going to win you this bid and i said if it doesn't the fighters are going to make a lot of money you're not going to win it but people are going to know that you were for real so at that point he said okay and uh he knew everything he understood the scenario he understood that he has no rights these fighters except for one night um you know he was very clear on that, and so uh, he went to Perspid. He won the Perspid, and then I think quickly after that, he realized that he's now in the boxing business. He's not just in the influencer slash music artist slash crossover legends. He's now just added a major hardcore purist boxing fight to his, to his uh, of future events. So he said, look, we don't really have someone, a real boxing person. And would you be interested in in you know being that person, fulfilling that role? And we talked about it, and I thought about it and, and I said yes. And and so that's you know, that's how it came about. I mean, look, Chris, you came up to me in the Canelo bubble, and you 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 and said to me, You are the most miserable looking rich guy I've ever seen. Those were your exact words. And it's because for me, I mean, I was excited, but I wasn't about to go run around and do like a victory lap, you know what I mean? So uh, it was one of those things where I, I knew that people were going to be upset. I knew that, the, you know, people were going to have conspiracy theories. But uh, I can tell you right now, it, it was that simple. You know, that's how it came about. That's how I developed a relationship with Ryan, And, you know, that's, that's when it all kind of came to be.
3: So as chief boxing officer, describe what your role is.
4: So my, well, first and foremost, you asked the question in the beginning which was how many shows is Triller going to do? What's Triller's intention with Fight Club? Triller Fight Club is not a traditional boxing promotional company in the sense that that we're not going to be out there signing fighters to long-term deals. We're not even signing fighters to multi-fight deals. It's one-night stands, single events. They come, they fight, they go home, they get handed right back to their promoter. If a promoter provision of services them, if they're independent, they go on to the next show, wherever that may be. Um, so... With, with that being said, you know, like Ryan Kavanaugh says, it's, it's a four-quadrant uh, approach. You have the influencers, you have the legend-slash-crossover fights, whether that's uh, two guys that are going to be in an exhibition, uh, or you have uh, a boxer versus MMA star. Uh, then you have the music artists, which, have, as you see, are some of the top names in music, with Justin Bieber and Black Keys and Saweetie and Doja Cat, Diplo and Major Lazer, Snoop Dogg and Mount Westmore with Ice Cube and E-40 and T-Short. I mean, it's really a great lineup. Uh, And then you have the real boxing. And on April 17th, that includes having a co-feature with the former IBF, uh, uh, you know, super lightweight champion of the world, uh, Regis Progre, who arguably is still one of the top three 140-pounders in the world, fighting, uh, you know, gatekeeper slash uh, definitely top-caliber challenger, Ivan Redcatch. That's a, that's, you know, that fight would have been a Showtime or Fox or Zone main event. Um, and so you know, that adds that. And then we have a, a, an undercard featuring three undefeated fighters with Lorenzo Simpson, Quentin Randall, and uh, Junior Union. So th- the goal is to just put on exciting, entertaining events that, that have all of those components with the music and the crossover slash legends and the influencers and the real boxing. You know, put on a great event, have a theme to the event, and then move on to the next one. Um, and, you know, they're, like I said, there are no long-term contracts. No one's being built or, or being guided toward a world title. I mean, other promoters are welcome to work with us. Many of them have spoken to me already asking me, hey, would you put this fight on a future card? And so, you know, those are the conversations we've had. But that, I mean, I hope that answers your question. I know it was a long-winded answer, but I hope that kind of gives some clarity.
3: No, I mean, well... There's there's a there's a few follow-ups there to it. One is you mentioned all you know the musical acts and artists that are going to be involved in these shows, including the one that we're going to see on Saturday night. You've been around boxing long enough, Peter. Mixed results with music and boxing. I know Rock Nation tried to do something involving music and boxing during some of their shows. It didn't really. It didn't seem to me that there was. Uh, enough of kind of cross-pollination to make it worth it. Why, why does Triller believe that musical acts at the highest of levels, I mean, we're talking like Justin Bieber. I mean, we're, this is, these are high-profile guys uh, and women, of course. Why does Triller believe that, you know, they can pull off what nobody seems to have been able to make work up until this point?
4: You know, look, it's a great question, right? It still remains to be seen. But I think it's not just about music. It's not just about boxing. I mean, Jake Paul is a uh, a very very big influencer, big following, loyal following. Um, obviously, he you know he brings a lot of fans to the table. Uh, the so- look Triller in its core is a social media app, right? That includes uh, short form video, including you know music. Um, and look, they have something that I think possibly Rock Nation maybe didn't have or didn't want to invest in which are the resources to support it so i think that you know in fairness uh the type of marketing dollars that are being put against these events um are uh enough to maybe kind of really be able to 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 bring in that audience at the same time i think that we're also uh attracting a much broader demographic i think when you add you know two of the most famous tiktokers and you have uh Pete Davidson and Snoop commentating, um, and you have those music artists, and you have you know the influencers like Jake Paul. Um, I just think that you know we're setting ourselves up for success because we're also supporting that uh, aggressively by advertising you know, going to certain places um, that maybe others haven 't gone before when trying to do the same thing
3: so the next question I had is about the influencers, and you have Jake Paul you know fighting uh this weekend against Ben Askren, a retired MMA fighter. I uh, look this is something an area I'm a little familiar with having been part of the DAZN broadcast with Logan Paul and right. KSI. And I would imagine Peter that you're seeing some monster social media numbers, some YouTube numbers and everything digital is probably spiking through the roof. Um we saw that at DZone with Logan Paul as well. It didn't necessarily mm-hmm. translate to the kind of subs that I believe DZone was looking for. It wasn't a bad number, but it didn't reflect the enormous interest before in part because these Jake Paul and these Logan Paul fans are incredibly sophisticated at least when it comes to to tech and frankly right. they pirate the shit out of things. So how do right. how, how do you prevent that? I mean how, how do you, you see that? I mean is it do, do you see how do you see this being a success?
4: Look, first to answer the piracy question, I mean, we've seen this. Forget about influencers. We saw this with Mayweather McGregor. We've seen this. I mean, piracy runs rampant, right? Especially in this in this digital world, right? Not everyone has to get the pay-per-view in the traditional sense. I mean, you can get it digitally. There's so many other ways to pirate it, and you're like, that, that audience is pretty savvy. Um, but I think that these other elements, with the, the real boxing, with the music, um, uh, you know, with the whole entertainment, with the cinematic... Approach to this. Um, look, I think it's it is set up for success. I, I mean, I can't tell you until um, until after April seventeenth how this performed, but in demand is able to do projections based on history, and they're pretty close. Like you know, I mean, they're they're pretty good at what they do, and they're pretty close. And and fight who's carrying the digital stream uh, also is able to kind of gauge. And if it's worth anything, the pre sales on both both the traditional uh, pay per view with you know satellite. Uh, and cable um, those pre-sales are in line or exceeding tyson jones in addition to the digital side would fight
3: do you i mean it, i always kind of laugh a little bit at pre-sales in my life i've never ordered something before,
4: before five minutes 99 actually... percent of the people order it the night of the event yeah but that's consistent yeah. with boxing I mean, in general the majority of boxing outside right. of the high price tickets are walk-ups right Right,
3: um, yeah. Of course, of course they are, and and so when it but when it comes to the 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 former fighters, you just announced that Evander Holyfield mm-hmm. is going to fight Kevin McBride. It yep. sounds like and Oscar De La Hoya at some point is going to be back, uh, probably over the summer in July against an opponent to be named. Uh, you had Triller had enormous success with Mike Tyson. Uh, that did close to two million pay per view buys. At least that was what was reported. Eighth eighth um, largest
4: pay per view of all time.
3: Of course, a huge number. But how much of that is Tyson, right? Like, Tyson is such a magnetic figure. I mean, uh-huh. even though he went out poorly, uh, there are still an older generation that loved the idea of watching Mike Tyson again. Following on social media, the, even the Ryan Garcias of the world, like, who never got to see Mike Tyson fight, right. or at least don't remember it, uh, they wanted to watch Mike Tyson. How much of that do you think is Tyson, and how much of that do you think is an appetite to watch you know, legends of the game get back in the ring?
4: Again, a great question, right? Because, you know, we all saw Tyson teasing this, right? Um, you know, those little social media clips of him uh, getting back in shape and, and him hitting the mitts. I mean, we were all like, oh, look at Mike. Mike's, you know, what's Mike up to? And, and it was very exciting. And um, I do believe Roy Jones was also the perfect uh, person for Mike to, to come back against in that sense. It was just an exhibition. But, you know... It, 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 it was like lightning in a bottle, right? But at the same time, you know, the fans were kind of presented with something they hadn't seen before. You know, say what you will about other people that have tried, the presentation of this was something different. And look, love him or hate him, Jake Paul had a highlight real knockout against Nate Robinson, regardless of, you know, what people think about Nate, Nate Robinson's skill set, My 11-year-old, my youngest son, right? The night of that pay-per-view because I bought it because I wanted to see what it was all about. And I wanted to watch it. And he comes running downstairs yelling, Jake Paul knocked Nate Robinson dead, and then ran back upstairs. And for him, that was a big deal, you know? And so I have to put my, 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 my head in that mindset of where they live and what they go to and what they consume every day, because we don't live in that. You and I don't live in that world. Come on. You and I know we're looking at the same stuff on Twitter We're immersed in our bubble of boxing. He didn't even, he wasn't really interested in Mike Tyson, you know? So look, you're right. It was Mike Tyson. It's iconic. There was a certain amount of nostalgia. People just wanted to see him again. They loved the way he looked. People that never saw him said, I'm going to watch Mike Tyson fight. He looks good. He's fighting Roy Jones. But I'll say this, Evander Holyfield, in my mind, carries um, somewhat, if not the same uh, level uh, as Mike Tyson in a different way, considering he also beat Mike Tyson twice. And he is fighting the guy in an exhibition, Chris. You know, this isn't the heavyweight championship of the world. It's a an eight-round, two-minute-per-round exhibition uh, against the guy that retired Mike Tyson. So there is a storyline there um, in Kevin McBride. And uh, look, it's all about entertainment. And I want to let you know from the beginning, we had both guys do their full medicals before even signing this deal for the over 40 uh, combatant medicals that they have to do to be approved in Florida. And that includes the full battery of testing.
3: So you don't anticipate any issues getting them licensed in Florida?
4: No, we, we've already, we've look, we already spoke with the Florida Commission in advance saying, what would we need to show in order to have this fight licensed and sanctioned? And they said, this is what needs to be done. And we went and did that. So, is it any different than what Mike Tyson or Evander Holyfield were possibly going to do in Florida as well when that was being considered?
3: No, no, it's not. Uh, it's exactly as that was. And I think people look at Holyfield and say, you know, 58 years old is older. <laughs> and Holyfield's, you it,
4: know. It, listen, it, it, it is older, but not that much older than Mike. Maybe four years older than Mike. And mm. I know Evander very well. Have you seen Evander lately?
3: I have, I've, uh, you know, his son, Evan, was on uh, a show mm, I was working at. Right.
4: Uh, Evander looks fantastic. I mean, he is in super shape, both uh, Evander and Kevin McBrider in Atlanta. And uh, they're going to be participating in a press conference tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to be able to see them, hear them. Uh, the same with uh, T. Fimo Lopez and George Cambosas Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the announcement of the, the June 5th show. And... Look, uh it's about, you know, entertainment and and of course pr- listen, pr- priority priority number 1 for all of us in boxing is safety. You know, and and it, more than any sport, and I think you can attest to this, what other sport goes to great lengths to protect the participants with the level of licensing and testing that takes place.
3: Uh sometimes, I mean I, I mean there are also shows where there aren't as much testing, there are also states that aren't as good. I mean I think that is, that's can also be true. I think there's, you know, it's gotten better over the years. Right. I'll certainly say that. Um, at the same time, there are situations where guys are not taken care of as well. Uh, but right. but look, if if these guys are getting those battery of tests and they want to get back in the ring, more power to them. I mean, I guess that's sort of my right. my position on it. Let me ask you this: What is Triller's definition of success? Is it as simple as high numbers on pay-per-view buys or because it is an app and probably has other things it wants to grow, uh, does it have a different measure of success?
4: I think it's a combination. Obviously, a dollar in, you want to see a certain amount of dollars back like any business. So, you know, I can tell you this, Fight Club's not being used as a loss leader. That's for sure. Um, it's being used as uh, as a platform to generate revenue for the company. Uh, in addition, uh, it can't hurt the social media app, right? And there are other areas, obviously, um, you know, that that the company continues to get into. I mean, obviously, you saw the purchase of Fight, which was a big step uh, in owning a very, very successful combat sports digital platform. And so there are going to be plans there. Triller bought Versus. So if you're familiar with Versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Swiss Beats and Timelin, and, and incorporating that under the Triller umbrella, I mean, I, think, I feel like things are just getting started. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you look at Triller Fight Club, when you look at Versus, when you look at Fight, uh, and you look at the social media app in its core essence of what Triller is, um, you can see there are so many opportunities to reach such a big audience and such a, uh, uh, such a, a variety of demographics. So are you...
3: I mean, how many shows per year are you planning? Like, for the rest of 2020, you've got one coming up Saturday. You've got one on June 5th. Uh, how many shows do you believe Triller will put on before the end of the year?
4: So, I would say that, you know, the goal is four to five per year. So, with, the, with, with April 17 being the first one, with June 5th being the second one, then there would be July 3rd, which is what you alluded to, Oscar de la Hoya. And then, you know, uh, one uh, maybe, um, you know, uh, September, October, and then maybe one again before the end of the year. But it just might be four. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I think it's – look, there's a learning process that's also going to take place, right? We're, we're in here doing something different. I mean, it's just something different. I mean, I'm in Mercedes-Benz Stadium right now. Um, behind me uh, is the actual stadium, and it's a closed set. It, it's, there are no fans. You know. There's no live gate. It's a closed set. It's built like a, like a, like a movie set. It has two stages, uh, a boxing ring. Tell, tell um, me,
3: Peter, tell me the, reason, the rationale behind that because, look, Logan Paul did a pretty good crowd in Los Angeles when he fought KSI. That's, you, you mentioned dollar in, dollar out. I mean, that's a way to mm-hmm. bring dollars in.
4: The level of production and the idea that for this $50 pay-per-view, Triller wants to encourage people to stay at home and watch this event have a front row seat and be entertained um the level of production and the scope and scale and size of it that is necessary is just one mass of sightline obstruction i mean it, literally i'll send you a picture after this offline for your own just for you to see and you can tell everybody or tweet about it without showing the picture I mean, it's it's scaffolding and lighting. I mean, there is no ringside seating. It just wouldn't be possible. Mm. We we couldn't accommodate. We, could, we couldn't serve those two masters mm. of wanting to please the live audience and at the same time be able to have the level of production that uh, you know that Ryan's vision and Bert Marcus, who's directing this, his vision, uh, and you know Bert's an award-winning director. You know, you know to be able to have that. Presented the way that they want it, it just it wouldn't be possible. We'd have a lot of unhappy people in the stands.
3: Are you anticipating that being the model, you know, for the foreseeable future?
4: The, the, to answer your question, the no audience um, uh, environment would be for April and June, uh, and then I would imagine July, but I don't know for sure. Based on the way that this is produced, I just don't even think it would be possible. But you know, that's up to Ryan Kavanaugh.
3: What? Just the last couple of things for you. Um, Oscar De La Hoya, the last few months, he's talked a lot about not only getting back in the ring, but taking a real fight. The last couple of weeks, all we've been hearing are MMA fighters being linked to a potential fight with Oscar De La Hoya. What can you tell us at least about kind of what kind of opponent we should expect De La Hoya to get back in with?
4: So I think that if Oscar, so first of all, Oscar is fighting an exhibition, you know, and he's been clear about that. You know, he said he's fighting an exhibition. Um, and I would say that if he does end up fighting a MMA star, it would be a star. It would be a star that is a good striker that would really inspire a lot of MMA fans to tune in and boxing fans to tune in. Um, and, you know, I, you got to really think about it. You know, you got to look and see who the potential opponents really are. Right. For this type of exhibition. And I think people also have to wrap their minds around it. Once again, it's Oscar hasn't fought what? 12 years. Yeah. Right. 2008, so it's, yeah. it's, it's, so, so it's a bit of that nostalgia. he's the golden boy, it's Oscar de la Hoya. Um, there's a, some people that would just love to see him get in there one more time, even in an exhibition capacity, um, something competitive. Uh, there are people that have never had an opportunity to see him fight. They've heard about him. They've seen his you know videos of him fighting. And now they're going to have an opportunity to see Oscar get in there and move around a little bit. You know, once again, it's not for the undisputed Welter waiters, junior middleweight championship of the world. I mean, it's an exhibition for entertainment and look, it'll be competitive. And uh, I think that it's about finding the right dance partner for him. Are you anticipating, uh,
3: are, are you anticipating a multi-fight relationship with Oscar that eventually leads to a real fight?
4: I think Oscars, I don't know. I, I really don't. I, Couldn't answer. I mean, you'd have to ask Oscar because I don't know what's going on Oscar's head. Like, I I mean, I'll see Oscar tonight and I'll ask him, but I don't know. (laughs) I mean, what I see is that Oscar um, as Oscar de la Hoya, uh, you know, is is a potential good promotional partner. And what I mean, promotional partner, I don't mean in the sense of a boxing promoter. I mean, someone that is an ambassador and promoter of the sport um, and someone that has star power uh, more than, you know, other maybe more than, you know, some other fighters uh, that have gone on to be more involved in the sport on the business side. Mm-hmm. So, but I, but I can't say what, I mean, I think part of it is, let's see, let's see what July looks like. And and then I think, you know, I think it certainly would be a case by case. It's, it's just like saying, if Holyfield, you know, looks good against Kevin McBride, does Mike Tyson circle back and is there a a third uh, Holyfield Tyson? Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, you have this job. You are also a boxing manager. Are you going to be able to continue on in dual roles?
4: Yeah, I am. And look, people have asked me that question. And the the, the truth of the matter, the bottom line is this. Um, This is an event-driven company. There are no fighters under contract. It's really like working for an event company that does one-off events. Like I said, it would be very hard-pressed other than the Jake Pauls, other than some of these anchors, right, that are, that are in a different place, you're not going to see uh, the traditional boxing promotional uh, model. And, and look, most of my fighters are signed in long-term deals with other promoters. In fact, where are you right now?
3: Uh, I am in Boston, headed to Florida, though, on uh, Friday morning.
4: Right, so you'll see one of my up-and-coming <laughs> prospects, Aaron, the alien king of Ponte, who's mm-hmm. fighting on the Demetrius Andrade uh, williams card i believe uh, i believe uh, i saw
3: him on the canelo show right he was uh just that's a, right a couple of months ago
4: that's right february 27th so look he's on the matchroom show matchroom has been do, has been killing it throughout this pandemic i mean they started off slow but they've come on strong um and the zone has been between you know matchroom uh domestically and in the uk now and of course The zone being worldwide uh and golden boy shows i mean you've had you know ryan garcia january 2nd you've had Two Canelo shows. The third Canelo shows May eighth. So, um, to answer your question, as a manager, I can easily flip into that mode where I'm excited uh, that Eddie Hearn's giving Aaron Aponte the opportunity uh, to showcase himself on on DAZN, you know, in front of that core boxing audience. You know, it's very important for Aaron's development. And I have Xander Zayas fighting the following week on ESPN Plus on the Top Rank show in Kissimmee, Florida, once again fantastic opportunity for an up-and-coming welterweight prospect. Uh, and I can, you know, go on and on and on about, you know, that from a management standpoint. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there is no conflict. Um, if I do have uh, a fighter that I manage fight on the trailer card, you better believe I would not be compensated.
3: Let me ask you one last thing. Um, you know, putting on big events is a great idea, but... The pathways are often limited to, you know, collecting two fighters big enough to headline or co-main a a main event or a big event. Uh, you got in the Teofimo business because of a purse bid. Is that going to be your entry point, you know, going forward, your best avenue for securing a big fight should we expect to see you or Ryan Kavanaugh like you know sting coming out of the Raptors in in WWE kind of showing up at these purse bids you know throwing big dollars around how do you the fights you want to put on in traditional boxing how do you get them
4: so I'll give you a perfect example um and no you won't see a WWE type of uh entrance into a purse bid or me in a cape running into the IBF all Hey, we
3: we laughed, we laughed though, but Ryan's entry into that purse bid for Lopez and Gambosis was as WWE as you get, with the with almost like the little bit of drama where he bids like six hundred thousand, or at least they thought he bid and They, they I,
4: read it wrong. Carlos read it wrong. Oh, I know, I know, it. It. I, know really I know he read I know he read it
3: wrong. But like that as soon as that six hundred thousand was read, I got like three texts from people like in the virtual room being like, It's over. If they knew they knew exactly what happened there. So there was an element of you know, right flair right. to it.
4: It was a little bit of humor because they had two purse bids and he just started announcing himself in the first one, right? So like automatically he was throwing himself into the wrong purse, but look, all the intentions are good. I believe this was a unique situation. Is the model to start jumping into purse bids in order to secure fights and pay, you know, premiums to get him? No. This was a unique situation that was inspired out of my necessity to make sure that the fighter I represent, George Cambosis Jr., had the best opportunity fighting one of the top fighters in the world for the Undisputed Lightweight Championship. And so I went to great lengths to, to make that happen. But at the same time, I'll give you an example. Regis Progre, free agent. Um, I, I, I you know, contacted his management and asked them if they'd be interested. Re, um, Ivan Redcatch, free agent. It was a very easy, incredible fight to make. At the same time, every major promoter, uh, except Top Rank right now, I've spoken to that has already asked if they could put some of their fighters on some of these shows. Chris, dates are not as prevalent as they used to be. And Live Gate is still not prevalent like it used to be, even on some of these dates. It's just become the new norm. I mean, you're asking me about Triller and the Live Gate. When was the last time? outside of the Canelo shows that anyone had a real live gate. It would have been the uh, Wilder Fury 2 show, which was the third largest gate in, in, in Nevada heavyweight history, right? I guess February 22nd, mm-hmm. something like that, right? And then, and then it all stopped. So that was the last major live gate. Of course, I was at the Canelo show that you were at in Miami. How great was that to see 15,000 people in that 80,000-seat in that stadium? It felt like we were like at a boxing, a big event again, the energy. And by the way, Jay Balvin did perform that night. So mixing music and boxing and having a guy like that walk out Canelo, I mean, it was, it was exciting. Um, but, you know, to answer your hey, question... I am off
3: with the ring walk, man. No, if you want to have Bieber walk Regis Prograde of the ring, I'm all for that. Like that. that I know, but, in but, but,
4: Bal, but Jay Balvin sang a song mm-hmm. prior to that ring walk. And it was just, look, it was a sample. It was a, it was a sample size of, of what could interest fans, right? So, but to answer your question i um, happy to work with the major promoters and do provision of service deals where they make money. They get a guy active that they need to fill under contract that fits in to the scope of an event that we're doing that would provide them with a fight that would be under their contract and uh, gives them, by the way, I mean, who's going to be unhappy of potentially reaching uh, a million or millions of, of viewers. And then that fighter then goes right back, to the promoter potentially with a tremendous uh, uptick in their social media following of new fans that might not ever know what a Regis Progray is, might think it's a cologne. Now they see that they like this fighter, and now they're going to go follow him on Instagram and Twitter and and follow him, and, and they're going to go right back wherever he lands after that, and he's going to have all these new fans.
3: No, look, I, I'm all for pursuing... I'm all for the one-off, right? I think that's great for boxing. I think promoters get too in their own heads and too deep in the weeds and don't appreciate that as much. I mean, I just, you know, getting pro gray is great. Red cat. Like if red catch beats pro gray, it's probably the upset of the year. I mean, we both can probably really? agree on that. It's just how,
4: how wonder, how wonderful would that be? for
3: <laughs> Yeah, that would be great for Charlie. You'd be, that'd be your, your Andy Ruiz, Anthony Joshua moment right there. If you uh, could right. pull that up, I just, I'm I'd be curious to see how like the other traditional boxing matches come together outside of, the purse bid. I also wondered too, like, I mean, now I'm just sort of speculating, but like, you know, do promoters do everything they possibly can to avoid purse bids, to avoid Triller?
4: you know? I t- mean, we're not, like I said, I mean, it, it was a perfect storm. It was built out of necessity. That's not the business model. Uh, I'd much rather go to one of those promoters and say, listen, if you guys are having trouble putting this together what if we work out a deal and put it on our platform we put it on for one night we attract all these fans you guys make money they go back to you guys winner in that sense winner takes all and it is what it is and if they're like no no they bid fine they bid they whatever it is sometimes us coming in and offering a premium um but market value i'll give you an example the philip hergovich michael hunter purse bid. I mean, you know, for an eliminator to become the mandatory. We're not in the business of bidding for that and then taking options and it's just not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, would we take that fight and package it and put it on a show and and have both promoters of both fighters make some money and 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 give a really good 50-50 heavyweight fight to the fans? Why not? Yeah, I kind like of like that I kind of like that. I mean, I think it's right, I think Hunter I think Hunter's a lot
3: better than people give him credit for and Hergovich is potentially really good. I think that's... And Hunter always makes a fight. It's, so. it's,
4: as a boxing fan, wouldn't you just be interested in seeing that fight? I would find that fight.
3: Like, as a boxing fan, I would find
4: that fight. Like, that's... I, right, and for, and, and for $50 and getting all of these other things in the entertainment, you know, about, purists have to open their minds. But guess what? This isn't about the purists. You know, obviously, we want to provide entertainment for the purists because we would love that audience. But Chris... You go on Sports Illustrated. You go on SI.com. I think you have to go and click on Other to go find boxing. And guess what? It's two-thirds of the way down, and it's under MMA. So you know what? Boxing purists and boxing fans that love it the same way that you do and I do, they really should be grateful that we're really trying to do something to to bring this younger audience and introduce them to our sport.
3: No, I don't disagree. I think boxing needs to – Not ignore the purists, but the purists are always going to be there. You need to branch out and bring new fans in and get boxing back to where it once was. Because people, and I've written this before, people forget, you know, the 1980s, boxing was like rivaling or dwarfing the NBA, the NFL. Like when a big fight went on everybody got out of the way nobody wanted to be involved in blocking sugar ray leonard versus Hagler, or you know leonard duran like these outdoor wednesday night fights like i mean they, these were megawatt events so I, I i can appreciate that and i'm all for uh more of that in boxing peter good luck this weekend man i'm looking forward to seeing you. what happens you know with all the fights and of course what triller does uh moving forward man thanks for joining me
4: chris thank you very much
3: when we come back my conversation with liam williams is here. WBO middleweight mandatory challenger. He is facing Demetrius Andrade in Miami this weekend. That's a fight you can see in the afternoon in the US on DAZN. Uh Liam, let's start with this fight. I mean, you have been calling for a fight with Demetrius Andrade for months now. What is it about this particular matchup that you really liked? You
5: know, <clears throat> it was obviously a case of uh, the WO was my route that's where my good ranking was so obviously wanted to you know follow that and get the number one and obviously get my shot which I have now um, but for me it was just it was just an exciting challenge because obviously everybody says that uh, boo Andrade is the um, the avoided man the this that the other so for me I just thought, that's the challenge I want. That's that's the guy I want to go and beat for a world title. Do you think he has been avoided? Um, maybe a little bit. Not, not as much as he makes out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, maybe a little bit because he is, you know, he's a southpaw, he's tricky. Um, he's an awkward fighter. He brings a lot of awkwardness to the table. So he probably has been a little bit, but I don't see any major threats to him, and I think I'm going to walk through him. I'm going to hurt him. What gives you that impression? Because
3: Andrade throughout his career uh, has not only beaten every opponent he's faced, but the ones he hasn't stopped, the scoring margin has largely been pretty wide. I mean, you really have to go back to his win over Jack Colkey to find a fight that was relatively close. What makes you believe that you can do what no opponent has done yet to Demetrius Andrade?
5: I just think I bring too much intensity, work rate, the engine, um, and, and the punch power. I think once I start hitting him, I'm going to put him in the shell, um, and I just don't believe he's going to have enough fight in him to keep me away. Um, you know, going back to the likes of Jack Culkey, I, had a, I had a quite a good fight with him. No disrespect, but I don't rate Jack or Jack Culkey. I don't think he's that good. He's about he's about four foot nothing. Um, He's, he's he's very basic. Very basic. So um you know the for you to go back that far and say that he's you know, he's probably one of his best fights and one of his best names, then for me it says a lot really because I don't I don't think um he's really boxed anybody with with a big name or a uh yeah, just he's never boxed anybody got any star potential. Well, when you watch film of of Andrade. Like what are opponents
3: doing wrong against him? What are opponents doing that you would never do and you're not going to do in a
5: fight like this? They give him too much respect because they he's obviously got this this image of being tricky and a good boxer and this and that. They're going and they're allowing that to bother him too much and they they're thinking of a way in, they're thinking of how they're gonna get inside him. For me, I'm not going to give him – I'm going to give him zero respect. I'm going to be on his chest and I'm going I'm to look to cause damage. You have made – you made three years
3: ago a significant change with your team and going to work with Dominic Engel. What has that change done for you?
5: It's done, it's done massive amounts for me because, you know, I was saying a little bit earlier on, I was like – I was in a place where I weren't really enjoying what I was doing anymore. Um, I wasn't living the life I should have been. I was cutting corners. I was cheating. Um, I was drinking when I shouldn't have been. I was eating crap food when I shouldn't have been. Thing, Nothing was just falling into place. And, you know, it was nobody else's fault other than my own. But I've made adjustments. I've, you know, I lived the life. I don't... Cut any corners. I'm always working very hard. So, um, you know, that, that's that's all the confidence I need. I know in my mind, I know the hard work. You know, the hard work and sacrifice I I make, and um, I know I've got it in the tank to beat this guy. What What made you realize you
3: needed to make a change? Was it just the two losses to Liam Smith, or was there something more?
5: Do you know what? I probably knew before them losses that that I was, you know, what's the word I can use? I should maybe just play him with boxing a bit more. Um, I weren't taking it as serious as I should have been. But, um, obviously the losses, they were the final straw. They they made me make the move. But um, even before that, I was just thinking, you know, I was getting away with making, um, not making as much sacrifice. But, I was getting away with this so I kinda just I kinda just kept going with it. Whereas when I lost and I thought this is this is the final thing now. I need to either, you know, pack in boxing and, and carry on doing the, the same crap I've been doing and messing around or pack all that in and fully focus on boxing and obviously made the right choice and went with with uh, fully dedicating myself to boxing and what I do.
3: You know, you change your lifestyle, but as Dominic Engel changed your style, I mean, how much different of a fighter are you than the guy who took the two losses to Smith?
5: Yeah, you know, I've obviously, um, a- alongside me, changing, you know, the way I live and the way I approach these big fights and the approach training. And then, obviously, Dom has been a massive part. He's taught me so much technically. Um, you know in terms of my diet and um and nutrition and stuff that's another massive part i was struggling to make weight at 154 um you know i was good for four rounds after that i'd always start fading because i literally took so much weight off and um if i was still making 154 i wouldn't be sat here talking to you right now (laughs) I i couldn't hold a conversation for 10 minutes fight week it was um it wasn't a pleasant experience, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just happy in myself. now. I'm living a good life outside boxing, not just in terms of dedication, but family life, my, my daughter, my missus, and all that kind of stuff. Everything's good, so I'm in a happy place.
3: Yeah, you're unbeaten at 160 pounds now. What is the difference at 160 versus 154? Is it just feeling comfortable not having to cut all the way down, or is there something more?
5: It's just a case of obviously knowing when I was making one five four. it weren't even just the last week or two having to make the weight. There's 8, 10, like, you know, well, 10 weeks, 8, 6, 4, like, you know, knowing, um, you know when the time is going to come where, shit, I'm going to have to make this weight. And I've got, it's in the back of your mind thinking, you know, I've got 20 pounds to lose, 18 pounds, whatever it may be. And I'm just thinking shit, all the way through campus. No, it's it's a mental drain and a mental block. So you can't enjoy you're your training to, to lose weight. Um you can't really enjoy what you're doing properly and and learn new things because you're just fully focused on making weight. You know, you Liam have been
3: fully focused on this fight. You wanted Demetrius Andrade, you wanted this shot. <laughs> Whereas Andrade yeah, you know, for the last several months, he's been calling out Billy Joe Saunders. He has been looking for a fight with Gennady Golovkin. Uh, do you think, in a
5: way, he's looking past you? Uh, maybe a little bit. I don't. I don't think he's stupid enough to totally overlook me. He knows what I bring to the table. Um, what I do think might have happened is he got, obviously, got one eye like elsewhere on other fights. When I don't think he quite realized how. how Much of a test and how hard this this fight is going to be for him. So, um, you know, hopefully he has overlooked. I don't think he has, but hopefully he has because it's only going to play in my favor and it's going to make me win easier. The more I think I'm going to win anyway.
3: How has the adjustment been coming to Florida? Coming from overseas, and and, I mean, have you you been there long enough? How 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 do you feel uh, physically now?
5: Yeah, I've been here a week already up until now so they you know originally they wanted me to come like 5 or 7 days before and I was like no nah, no way because obviously I've been here a week now and it's only just now I'm starting to feel i would say i would say I'm 95% 90% just right now I got a couple more days um so you just think if I if I had to get you and fight within five days, it would have took the edge off me, and I wouldn't have been able to come with the same intensity and effort that I'm going to come with right now. So, um, you know, being his promoters and stuff, it was a smart move. But you know, I've I've gone out my way to do that, and I paid um, out of my own pocket to you know to keep my team for the for the extra duration and whatnot. So. It just goes to show, really, how committed I am and how much I want this. You know,
3: it sounds like Liam, you're as as locked in as you've ever been. Whether it's you know because of your trainer, your nutrition, getting there as early as you did. I mean, is this the best you've felt going into a fight?
5: Yeah, um, physically and mentally, I'm in, I'm in a great place where I, I honestly don't feel like I could get a lot better. N- nothing's ever. Life is never 100% perfect for everyone. But right now, I'm in a very good place and, and I'm happy with the way everything's going in terms of boxing and, and general life.
3: Is this the kind of fight, Liam, where you feel like you can outbox Demetrius Andrade or do you need to be more physical and try to put him out?
5: <clears throat> I think I think it's a case of... I think it's going to be 70% physical, because um, obviously I'm going to need to put the pressure on him and really make him work hard, um, not give him too many breaks in his in the action and stuff. But I think I need to do it in a smart manner as well. I don't, I just don't think I can go in all guns blazing, uh, crash bang wallop. It's it's not going to work. Like I need to, I need to have my mind screwed on and, and approach it in the the correct way, you know.
3: Yeah, it's it certainly will be a, just an incredible challenge. You and you are someone that you seem like you've been pretty respectful of, of Demetrius. You're not looking at him as somebody that hasn't really accomplished anything. You're looking at him as being a pretty tough opponent.
5: Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I've I've shown him some respect, and I've also disrespected him a little as well because, you know, there's things I like and the things I don't like about him, and, and that's just, I suppose, that's the way of life. You don't. <laughs> you can't be everybody's cup of tea and everybody can't be yours, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just the way it is. I I think that um, I do just generally think I'm going to have too much for him. And, you know, you have to respect his his ability and, you know, the experience and everything he's got. But essentially, I think I'm going to beat him and I'm going to knock him out. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Liam, good luck on Saturday and uh, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Take care.
2: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.